Hello, my name's Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. And today we're talking about film festival darling Hong Sang Soo. That's right, we are inaugurating Festival Month. Woo! Here at the Important Cinema Club, we will soon be talking about this year's installment of the Toronto International Film Festival. But before and after that, we will be talking about filmmakers whose work really could only exist in film festivals. Well, I, could so, Hong Sang Soo survive if he didn't have a festival circuit to hit? It's a good question. It's an open question. Certainly, filmmakers. No. Certainly, filmmakers whose work haunts festivals. Mm. Who, who you associate with festivals? I mean, Hong Sang Soo has an automatic pass. At film festivals, I feel. Well, seemingly every single one debuts at like one of the big four. Can he have an out of focus hour long movie and get it to play a film festival? Of course he can. Why, yes. In fact, his movie In Water showed at the Berlin Film Festival. (laughs) So, you know, Hong Sang-soo, he's just got it. He's got a golden ticket, which makes him the perfect film festival director. Well, this great South Korean auteur is a relatively recent interest of mine. According to Letterboxd, I've seen 10 of his 30 feature films. Hmm. So so that's where I'm at in my Hong journey. As we'll talk about today, I've seen some that I haven't logged on Letterboxd and that watching them this week, halfway through, I went, I've seen this. I saw it at TIFF. That's right. Well, <laughs> I've mostly seen them in the last year and a half, I would say. And I was intimidated before the last year and a half because it's a huge filmography and it's hard to know the right entry point. And the people who love him really love him. I would say Vampire Lesbos is a good place to start. You know, yeah, Dimarkis von Sad is actually a little underrated, I think. Uh, uh, we're talking Jess Franco, you know, the exploitation Hong Sang Soo. Because when people talk about Hong Sang Soo, big fan will always say, you know, there's not really a good one to start at. You need to really watch the entirety of it because it's like one kind of long, evolving character exploration. And when somebody says that to me, I get very intimidated. Yeah. And I, Just tell me what to watch! <laughs> exactly, but nevertheless... Right now, it, wrong then. Start with that one. Yeah, that, that's, that's it. it. That's it. You're right. I will say I might need to take a, a bit of a break from Hong because I can definitely feel the repetition at this point. And oh, I, oh, you know, uh, yeah, I am a director. It, it, it's okay. Thank you. Thank you for the praise. So what is a Hong Sang-soo movie? The movies are always very intimate, few locations, few characters, long scenes where they sit at tables, eating, drinking, talking, and drinking some more. Mm -hmm. A lot of those scenes, especially in his recent movies, very improvised, doesn't go in with a script, goes in with usually a treatment, writes what he wants to shoot that day. He does rehearse it with the actors, but clearly they cannot learn all the lines that maybe he sketched out. So they kind of rehearse it and the long scenes, and they are long single takes of these actors sitting there and talking especially in his recent movies are you know they kind of go through the guidelines of what he wants well you know i was reading dennis Lim's book about tale of cinema and apparently i mean you watch the movies and with each passing year they look less and less expensive and polished to the point where one of the recent ones is literally out of focus from Mm. beginning to end but isn't that the point will probably is yeah but Apparently, by his fourth feature of 30, he'd done away with the script. He started the treatment. And now, I think he doesn't even have a treatment anymore. I no. think he just... He goes in like, let's subject. find some locations. Yeah. You know, we have a cast, or do we? Because the star of his film, Introduction, said that he didn't even know he was starring in the movie until he saw the finished version. Mm-hmm. But what else do they have? Often, the protagonist is a filmmaker, not unlike Hong himself. Who can't handle his liquor. That's <laughs> He's right. He's really bad at it. Oftentimes, the filmmaker is visiting from somewhere which creates this sense of dislocation it's not always a filmmaker 
writer, though. Sometimes it's a writer. Usually a creative type of some sort. When the character is in a room with other characters, they're often subtly prodding at each other's insecurities, just being a little bit mildly or sometimes overtly asshole-ish to each other. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for some kind of emotional catharsis in these movies, you ain't gonna find it in most of them, because that's not really what Hong Sang-soo is doing. Almost always there's a sort of potential romance in there, and... Almost always, there's an element of poor communication. <laughs> if you ever wanted to see the most awkward first kisses in any movie, <laughs> Hong Sang Su's cinema is going to deliver. Sometimes there's a language difference between the characters. Sometimes there's just misunderstanding. Oftentimes, somebody says the worst thing they could say in that moment. And in addition, I've often felt that you could put like the Seinfeld music at the <laughs> end of every scene. I mean, yeah. Hong puts kind of like ironic, happy music mm -hmm. over a bunch of his scenes as well. And then there's what he does structurally, which is in many of the movies, he'll show you a story and then he'll show you the same story again. Now, how many times has he done this? Like, I know he did it in two of the movies that we watched for this episode, mm -hmm. but I couldn't figure out what are the other ones as well. I, I don't know how many, but like many of them have like different like or even like repeating of... structures. For example, the day he arrives has a repetitive structure, even though that it is a linear amount of time. Right. It feels like very even though that if you've seen a bunch of Hong Sang Su movies, you're like, wait, is it actually the next day or am I just seeing a variation of what we've seen before? And then there's something like Hill of Freedom, where the story is literally told out of order. You know, halfway through, you're like, eh, eh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm not going to try. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Or then there's, did you watch Tale of Cinema? I did watch Tale of Cinema. Like that's one where the first half, halfway through, you find out rather subtly that the whole first half was a movie within a I movie. I think people like may not even realize that when they watch the movie, because the film gives you almost no hints that that's what's happening. Right. Like all of a sudden you're at a movie theater. And so Someone just leaves. And you're hearing the music from the last scene. Someone leaves. And then the second half of the movie is a new story that just sort of plays with some of the echoes of the first half. Yeah. But even though one of the characters in that film does state like that short that you saw was based on me and a character from the movie is an actor and you learn, et cetera, et cetera. I have sometimes been frustrated with the movies because like, first of all, they look incredibly simple and you think, well, this should be very easy to follow because you got two characters mm -hmm. and they're just talking. But then like, because, you know, it's often like a theme and a variation or, you know, a diptyke structure, like, well, for example, in A Virgin Stripped Bear by Her Bachelors, I was reading that, you know, in the first half, like there's a, there's a fork and then the second half, there's a spoon in right. one scene. So we both watched this one. It's a very early Hong Sang Su film, A Virgin Stripped Bear by Her Bachelors. And I, it's interesting to watch even though that I looked at it, I was like, oh God, two hours. I had the same thought, sir. And what I think hurts the film is it doesn't have that Hong Sang Su humor that I really like when he kind of, you know, forms up. I would agree. I mean, I like this one less than the other ones yes. we watched, although I still liked it. I, I mean, mean, it's like all of his other films as well, especially yeah. it's, you know, dual structure where you see the same events a second time halfway through but you also see a little bit more that adds a different context but you're also saying slightly alternative versions of scenes that we've seen already as well so virgin stripped bear by her bachelors from the year 2000 this was i think a very early example it was his fourth movie but a very early example of the bifurcated structure and there are changes both big and small in the second half the main story is charting a triangle 
not exactly a love triangle, but a, a try an, an in the company of men type triangle. Yeah, patriarchy is very bad, that, and the men stink. That, yeah, yeah, that's right. The titular virgin is a writer at a TV station. Her friend is a producer at the station who's trying to raise money for a movie, and they are meeting with a wealthy potential financier who becomes very attracted to her. They go on a date. She is not all that into it, but when he finds out that she's a virgin, that really gets him interested. Mm. And something that this movie has and some of his other early movies have that is phased out of his filmography are very awkward and unpleasant to watch sex scenes quite explicit sex scenes as well yeah well i mean not Jess Franco, hardcore territory or anything like that, but very matter of fact in the way that they're presented. And like there's this kind of cold gaze yes. that his camera has. So, you know, if you read enough about Hong Sang-soo, something that you'll see over and over again is people will say, and then his cinema was revolutionized when he began using the zo- zoo. zooms. Just like... Just Franco. <laughs> the similarities are endless, aren't they? Yes. And you read that, it sounds pretty funny. It's like a zoom, like... I mean, but his films are so static that when there's a zoom, you're like, whoa, gripping the sides of your seat. Well, it's like when Paul Morrissey started to introduce zooms to the Andy Warhol movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like like that was a major aesthetic innovation in those movies that changed. Well, as Luke Millay or perhaps it was Jean-Luc Godard said, morality is a matter of tracking shots. Yeah, exactly. And so when you watch Virgin Strip Bear by Her Bachelors, I did find this one like a little tiring because it was such a punishing experience i agree i agree i mean it's it's it certainly has hong's usual incisive view of human nature there's much to recommend in it (laughs) yeah we're bad but it's not funny and but so i watched a tale of cinema which he made right around that period as well and i really love tale of cinema Mm -hmm. and hong sang su said that he approached this movie because he wanted it to be the fill like he wanted to capture that feeling that when you leave a movie like what are you thinking like what's going through your mind and how does that kind of affect the rest of your day basically mm-hmm. and in this one it starts with like a long which you then learn you know kind of shockingly short film about a young man and his girlfriend who want to commit suicide together lots of funny aside very punchy mm-hmm. into something that like Hong Sang Soo would kind of, he, I don't think you'd call any of his modern films like punchy, would you? Like short scenes. No, 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 yeah. no. I mean, certainly they're funny. Yeah, they're funny. But when I saw Right Now, Wrong Then at TIFF, like people were losing their mind laughing. <laughs> That's interesting. See, I've I've seen two of his movies with an audience and they never, well, actually. And what, it was a public audience, not a press audience. Okay, so I saw Walk Up last year where the audience is pretty like reserved. And I saw in front of in front of your face just with like seven people at a, you know, regular uh, mm-hmm. afternoon screening. I would love to see one of the funny ones with an audience because like certain things don't pop at home the way they would. No, they don't. Like the awkwardness or the kind of like, you know, just deadpan sentence mm-hmm. like in a tale of cinema at one point they leave a hotel and he's like they charged us for two days even though we were only there for a day and a half and they're gonna commit suicide that's what they're gonna do next so right now wrong then from 2015 this is one of his two-part movies oh and by the way before i get to that it might be worth noting that there are many ways that people chart the evolution of hong sang Su, many subtle things and there are some people who divide the films by certain things going on in his personal life so in, I mean, yes, in the mid 2010s, there was a scandal that made a big impact in the South Korean tabloid press, mostly impacted the actor who it affected. Well, because she was famous and yeah. he's he's an she, art house director. She had the Park Chan-wook film that came out that year. Mm-hmm. And then she also had the Hong Sang-soo movie. That's right. And it was such a big thing for Kim Ming-hee that like 
she hasn't acted in any other movie other than a Hong Sang-soo movie. Right. So in case you folks haven't guessed, extramarital affair. Yep. Hong's marriage ended. He's with Kim Min-hee now, and she's the star of many of his films now. And it's weird that, like, the movie she acted in, even before all this information was revealed, is kind of about that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, right now, wrong then. This is another two-part movie. Probably, like, the quintessential two-part movie, at least of the ones I've seen. The main character, again, is a filmmaker, John Su. He's in town for a screening. He visits a temple. He encounters a girl named Hee Jung. She knows who he is. They get coffee. She used to be a model. Now she's a painter. They go back to her place to look at the paintings. He's very complimentary, very smooth. Then they go out for drinks. They form a connection. Then they go to a friend's birthday party where she learns from a friend that he's actually a notorious womanizer. All the things he said about her paintings, he said in interviews, and that really sours the connection between them. Yeah, and they kind of go their separate ways. And he goes to his Q&A, his screening and Q&A the next day, and he's drunk and disorderly and just very irritable. And then, oh, what's this? The movie's starting over again, and it's The Summer George! Same two characters. But what if... He just spoke his mind the entire time. That's right. He goes back to see the paintings. He's critical of them. That upsets her. But then they go to dinner. They have a very different kind of conversation. I love you. I have two children. I love you. That's right. He's She she prods him a little more. He becomes a little bit more upfront. Then they go to the same party. He starts undressing. He gets drunk and he undresses in front of her two friends. She's not there when that happens. Mm-hmm. And when she learns about it, yeah, you know, she's she finds it kind of amusing. Mm-hmm. This would not pass if this movie was made in 2020. Maybe. Actually, no, definitely. Yeah, no, no, it, maybe, maybe it would. I mean, I think I, I think it could still potentially. I think what we see in this movie could still potentially pass because like getting drunk and naked at a party is like a taboo no matter what era it is. Mm-hmm. And like it's a pathetic thing no matter what era. So I don't know. I think you, I think you could still play this movie. And you know anyway. this happened to Hong Sang-soo, right? I mean, you I'm, not sur- I'm not surprised. I'm sure it Wait, probably no, I have no cover. I'm just oh, okay, saying, like, okay. you, you know, I mean, people who know him are like, yeah, basically all the events of his life make their way into his movies. You know, so like the most obvious, like Western comparison to, to Hong Sang-soo is Woody Allen, both for like <laughs> the prolificity, you know, the, the fact that he has this obsessive returning to the same few themes over and over again, the tendency towards autobiography. And I like to say about the Hong Sang-soo ones like the earlier funnier ones right <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. but hong sang smooth's movies are smaller scaled even than woody allen's movies are they also like feel more improvisatory well because they, they are. are and so they don't feel even though like it's the same few themes over and over again they don't feel vacuum sealed the way woody allen's current movies do no and what's weird about woody allen is there was that book about like on set with woody allen and yeah. the most shocking thing about that book is that Alan is constantly rewriting the scripts hmm. and it's like you you would never know watching a late period Woody Allen movie you know what I found it really interesting about that book the Eric Lax book I think it was called start to finish conveyed that Woody Allen who I assumed like sleepwalks through his movies now is very involved he cares about every facet of them he's very involved in like the costumes the cinematography you can't everything. see it though in the movies they're bad and he's you know he's Woody Allen a bad man 
Well, gosh, Justin, he was just telling me such nice things about you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you read his biography and he proves clear. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> yeah, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, and so Hong Sang-soo, yeah, I think that there is that repetition to his movies. And I think that he's a, a festival director as well, because if you're in Hong Sang-soo, you're licking your chops to see, you know, his whatever movie he's going to put out this year. Like, how will he find that variation on the theme? Well, yeah, I mean, the people, I think the fact that they're so similar and so endlessly different different is like one of the central uh, appeals the, the fact that he keeps i mean you know they're not comparable in any other way but like when wes anderson has a new movie out there's a kind of fascination of like oh he's burrowed even further into his style like he's he's developing this like dollhouse aesthetic even more it's further and further removed from like lived reality and in the hong sang Su movies it's like oh it's like how can he make another movie about a film director? He just did it again. With, with an actress who he may or may not have an affair with and they're at a table. We should talk about the day he arrives from 2011 because I think that's kind of like totally about Hong Sang Soo in the same way that all of these movies are. But it's about another director arriving. He's back in Seoul, even though that like he used to live there, doesn't live there anymore. And he's revisiting cast members and, you know, other people that are big fans of his. And he's retired. There's an implication. Yeah, he says that he's, he's retired. And, and who knows? Like, maybe he is retired. Maybe he's just in a dry spell or whatever, having some kind of a crisis. What's great about this movie is that, like, when, when you see its entirety, you realize, oh, this is a movie about a very selfish man mm -hmm. who wants everything to be about him. Yeah. And that any kind of puncturing of that he's like no bring it back to me and it's all done through like voiceover those zooms and like just that that horrifying scene where he made out with the the bar owner and then he's c talking to her later and she she she's he's like oh listen i'm sorry about what happened you know i shouldn't have done it and she's like what what are you talking about what happened what and he's like oh and he grabs her and he kisses her because he can't even imagine that like what he did didn't make an impact i mean this is a very like i mean it's typical hong in a lot of ways but it's also like a very like peculiar movie the way it sort of bends reality or like has an almost kind of uh, maybe you're trapped in a wormhole you can never escape yeah like dream logic isn't quite the right wor word but like an aurora boris or something mm -hmm. so yeah like he's you know it's in black and white which i also think is important to its effect to create a sort of like dreamy otherworldly it's snowy quality. like a lot of hong sang su movies it, it seems you know like an ed wood movie it seems to take place in eternal night yes that's <laughs> true where like man this director cannot hold his liquor at one point and this happened in multiple movies that we watch that a drunk person would be like let me show you something and then they show them nothing they right. just want the person alone or in the case of this movie then turns to the people that are following him young film students and going stop following me why are you following me I and love then that. running he away off. yeah <laughs> but a lot of the movie is structured around his encounters with women i mean first he meets this actress on the street who he used to know when they talk a little bit then he sees his ex-girlfriend and has a rather desultory experience with her and then he goes out drinking and the manager of the bar looks like that actress he gets obsessed with her yeah yeah and like the whole movie at the end is so like it just leaves you like ugh. God, I hope I didn't act like this in any situation, but you know what? You probably did. But I also think there's something kind of beautiful about the day he arrived. There's something melancholic. Like this would, to me, would be a nice melancholy. Really? I found it so toxic by the end. Okay. I, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But to me, this is also like, I could imagine if I was sad at Christmas, putting this movie on and just having a kind of like, 
You disagree, but that's yeah. fine. Just having maybe a kind of I see too many bad parts about myself in it. While you're just looking at it, you're like, it's just yeah, it just feels good. I look at it, it's like you're right. That is me, and, yeah. and I love myself. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that I need to improve at all. Like at the end, what are the bad things you see about yourself with this man? Let's get personal. I, I think maybe just like a selfishness mm. in social situations I or see. stuff that you, especially like you're early dating people and you're like, Oh, did I do that? Oh, I, I brother, I know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, I mean, something that I like, and like he makes it at the end all about, like, he's like, Oh, I love you so much. Like, Mm -hmm. will you wait for me? And you know that this will not end in a good place, that this is just a passing thing that he's doing. Well, something like right now, wrong then is a quintessential Hong movie because it's about, it's simultaneously about how every decision you make, everything you say, every choice could have catastrophic impact. Like you're constantly on this like high wire act in social interactions. You could change your life with just one misplaced word. But then also, actually, you probably won't change your life that much. Like Mm -hmm. the second day and the first day, they're not all that different. And like they, you know, spoiler, they don't get together Mm -hmm. in either day and life goes on. You you know, you could say that about kind of the whole Hong Sang-soo filmography where it's like, endless variations they all feel like the same movie but there are endless variations that keeps them interesting but at the end of the day they're all the like, hong tang Two movie it's like it's like my days it's like your days all of our days are different mm-hmm. and yet they're all kind of the every same. new day for me is a new adventure, a new adventure. yeah don't know what i'll find Just, justin you and i could like change our lives radically we could we could get rid of our spouses right now <laughs> Which, which I don't want to do. No, no, absolutely we, we not. Could, we could go Jack Nicholson in The Passenger and just go somewhere. And you know... Pro- but here's the thing about Jack Nicholson. Big headline, him with a hoagie, no shirt on, I'm going to die alone. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's an extreme thing. But realistically, every day is probably going to be like pretty similar. Mm-hmm. You know, Like a Hong Sang Soo. I don't drink, though. So I don't have any of those Hong Sang Soo reveries. That's good. I definitely have had some bad... <laughs> Hong Sang Soo things. Some, some, some bad drinking you're moments. Like, I see myself ripping your clothes off at the pub that you're drinking at. <laughs> Listen, these characters don't seem to be enjoying this alcohol. I think Hong should maybe lay off a little bit. Oh, but what else are you going to do except drink? Read books, look at nature, paint, yeah. all these other adventures you can have. Yeah. Sweat over a 35 millimeter scanner that's not working. Why won't you work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be the Justin DeClue story. It'll just be me like at the film scanner, winding it up, rewinding it, making it go again. You know, very early in the existence of this podcast, we did an episode on Francis Ford Coppola and there was some technical snafu. Oh, and we had to do it again. We had to do it all but over you know again. What? Ladies and gentlemen, we talked about this before. It was almost exactly the same episode right down to like, like laughs laughs and jokes and who knows if if there's a technical snafu with this one like when we have to do it again and what would what would be different and mm. then if there was some way to recover that file wouldn't it but be why fun would, to why would you want to listen to that though oh i would because it's us yes i mean Hong it'd be like, what, how, how different would the second one be hmm. i don't know not probably different at all and that's what i'm proposing for this episode that we do we An come alternate back one. we come back Next week and do a completely different one. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) And we have to watch all the same movies again. And we have the same notes. Yep, exactly. Will it be different? Will it be exactly the same? I mean, we just proved it with that Francis Ford Coppola one. (laughs) It was exactly the same. We only have one method of working and that's it. Even though that there would be variations that if you put both of them side by side, you could notice. And some of those variations could be very consequential. Yeah, and could mean everything. Wow. So will Hong Sang-soo ever become a mainstream director? No. No. (laughs) 
<laughs> he could only exist in the festival sphere, I feel. Why do you think it is that he's he thrives so much in the festival sphere, but like like his movies in the West, like really only play theatrically in like New York, you know, because you need to watch his movies theatrically. It's tough to sit and watch them in our modern world. Mm -hmm. These long conversations, these static shots. But when you're sitting in that darkness, you got nothing else to do. You can just fall right into them. And every little gesture in something like right now, wrong, then will bring guffaws of laughter because you're completely tuned in. I also think there's something about the ritualistic nature of a film festival. Like if you're going to a lot of film festivals, or even if you, there's just one that you go to every year and it's like, oh, a new Hong Sang-soo. Mm -hmm. Like it becomes, you know, it's like a dispatch. It's like that friend that you see in this context. I'm kind of fascinated about his early career, though. When he started making movies, he had tons of stars in his early films. Well, even some of the later ones, like it, it's it's very strange. Even as he it went further and further down, like Jane Birkin and Isabel Huppert mm -hmm. appeared in some of the later ones. In fact, I think Huppert is making one with him now. Again? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, he can get them. But like, if you look at like his early pictures that you see, like it looks more like South Korean films of that period. Mm -hmm. And like, what was the attraction there? Was it just like, oh, he's giving something like that's kind of low grade vibe that you can't get anywhere else that only becomes more interesting once you realize, oh, we're going to get through this through all of the movie that he makes. Also, I mean, there's part of his stylistic evolution is corresponding to like, you know, as it is with every filmmaker, like the the economic conditions under which he's working, like each movie is funded with the receipts from the last movie. Mm -hmm. And it's very like consistent, but also working that way, you know, he doesn't have a lot of money to work with. I also think that his films though, are what you would call like a festival film or a walking through a field film. <laughs> like that brings to mind like, oh, I know what that is. Mm -hmm. And I think Hong Sang-soo films are the definition of that thing. Mm -hmm. All right, let's leave it at that. People yeah. are like, what are they talking about? Nope. We'll have to leave it to you. Watch a bunch of Hong Sang-soo films. Start with Right Now, Wrong Then, if you haven't seen any. Then may move to The Day He Arrives and A Tale of Cinema. And you'll have like a good kind of, you know, long period of time of when he's worked. And from there, just go to your heart's content. Go everywhere. It and doesn't then, really matter where you go. And yeah. you will be able to, over time, after you've seen 20 of them, 30 of them, by next week, there will probably be another 10. Listen, a boot up movie... I'm sure they're there, right? I feel like that's probably where they live. And over time, you will be able to chart some of the stylistic and thematic evolutions in the filmography more than we can. Yeah, exactly. And then... And then you will send us an email and we'll go too long to read the student will become the master <laughs> and remember folks that's what you are you're the student <laughs> oh you don't need to prove us to us you're a master we believe you we believe yeah, you yeah, yeah. all right so do we have any letters yeah we do as per usual you can send us letters at important cinema club at gmail.com so our first letter is from roman he goes hey guys long time listener first time caller I'd like to know if you'd ever consider doing an episode on Millennium Films output. Well, yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, please. And particularly all the schlock they produce in Bulgaria, my home country. As it happens, I'm a veteran of their productions, having shot behind the scenes for a number of their films. I had the dubious honor of shooting an interview with Nicolas Cage at rock bottom. <laughs> the film is called 211, a production that was interrupted twice, once when Cage broke his ankle and once when the producers realized the film was unreleasable and called Isaac Florentine to reshoot 70% of the film. And he's a ghost director. He's a producer on the film, but he didn't get credit. I just looked online after he mentioned this. The end result, I assume, is better than what was originally in the can. It's also Cage's worst film. Well, that's Whoa. saying a lot. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. 
Alternatively, and this is super serious recommendation, may I suggest you guys check out the work of filmmaker Miguel Lonzo. Jesus Shows You the Way of the Highway and Crumbs. Have you seen these ones? No. I like them. I've seen Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway. The man will either go down at the next crazy visionary or at the very least an adult swim show in a few years. Definitely worth checking out. We will totally do a Millennium Films episode at one point. I would love to. I mean, Millennium Films is kind of the spiritual successor to Canon Films. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Many of the same personnel. By the way, also, uh, plenty of bad people have been involved in it, like real weirdos and creeps, like uh, Randall Emmett, for instance. Was he a Millennium Films guy? He, I believe, had some... Yeah, kind of... Some jurisdiction or some relationship. But everybody else is... All, the, oh, clean. Yeah. All yeah. the other ones are fine. Yeah. But there's, there's a particular there's a particular era in the late 2000s, early 2010s of Millennium Films that I love where I think they really were like the canon films of that well, era. Well, they had budgets, basically, well, even though they were DTV movies. Well, they would have movies like Ninja, Shadow of a Tear, yeah. you know, like some pretty good DTV movies, some really bad ones, too, like mm. some of the dregs of the Nicolas Cage filmography. Oh, they're the worst. But then also, oh, like Expendables as well. Like, oh, that is a Millennium that's Film That's Millennium logo. Films, which were, which were huge. But then they would also have these like odd attempts at prestige and the art house. So like... So like Canon? Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. Oh, that is one of theirs. Werner Herzog classic. Also, I mean, these aren't necessarily like the greatest movies, but Stone, the movie with Robert De Niro and Edward Norton. Do you remember that? No, not at all. Weird prestige film with them. The Paperboy, the Lee Daniels film. (laughs) Oh, yeah. War Inc., the John, John Cusack. Cusack. That was a passion project of his. I think he co-wrote that. Yeah, that's right. Now, again, I'm not saying all these movies. I, I think War Inc. came out the same year as Kill Switch with Steven Seagal and Righteous Kill with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And that was a Millennium Films joint? Yes, it was. But like a very... Oh, oh, this is another one. Leaves of Grass, directed by Tim Blake Nelson, starring Edward Norton. And a Tim I have Blake, vague memories yeah, of this. Tim Blake Nelson passion project. So... Very odd era where they were actually trying to do like prestige and exploitation at the same time. We will definitely do that. I had never even considered just doing millennium films, but I would love to do them. Their output has slowed down a little bit in recent years, although, you know, they still gave us such hits as The Protégé with Maggie Q. Ugh. Rambo, Last Blood, a- Angel Has Fallen. Ugh. Well, a- the, the, the Angel or White House Has Fallen series. Very popular. Yeah. So our next letter is from Nick and he goes, Hey, love the podcast and the Toronto screenings. Well, thank you very much for hosting. Thank you both for being excellent virtual and real life hosts. He's referring, by the way, to our screening series at the Fox Theater. Yes, where we have up to this point shown Rumble in the Bronx, Hell's a Poppin' and Glen or Glenda. And soon we will be showing another film. Why don't we just talk about it now before uh, we forget? Read his letter and then we'll talk okay, about it. Okay, yeah, we have too much to say. That's right. <laughs> he asks, I'd love to hear your thoughts on ham. Is it a useful term? I find myself seeking out so-called hammy performances, but it seems like the term applies in a different way across genre and generations. It also seems like a lot of notorious performances inevitably get a kind of cult following, making me wonder if you have a good example of hamming it up, really killing a movie. And of course, and I think he means killing in bad, not Mm -hmm. good, like you killed it. Mm -hmm. And of course, I would love to hear examples of where it makes a movie. Also, I'll selfishly request you do an episode on Matthew Barney, though. Probably not realistic. 
hammy performances. I Let mean, me get my essay on camp by Susan Sontag. Yes, hammy. I mean, this is one of those, this is really making me think because it's a, a term I use. You use it too. And oh, I yeah, use- I don't know. Do I use hammy a lot? I, I remember you using it in your Letterboxd review of a little movie called Green Book. <laughs> yes, that's right. No, I think I said, I called the movie an, yeah, an oven baked ham that your grandmother would love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad my review for Green Book has rested on your mind like that is it up there with like you know pauline kale on bonnie and clyde (laughs) i made that movie (laughs) yeah but yeah ham i mean it's a word that i use that i don't really think about a lot and i've used it both like in a complimentary way and in a scornful way i think that usually when i do use it it is in a complimentary way that like i love this hammy performance as opposed to oh they're so hammy okay here's bad ham the post Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. That that's bad ham. Yeah, your 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 hate for the post continues. But good ham. What about Tom Hanks in Elvis? Yeah, good ham. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I like that. What is what is the difference? Is it because they're both trying to be serious? I mean, Baz Luhrmann is ham personified, right? Yeah, I think Elvis. Oh, that's a director we've never done. I, I like Elvis. <laughs> yeah, and I think the difference is that movie, like he's supposed to be a gargoyle in that movie, mm-hmm. but he's supposed to be a real guy in the post. Yeah, and I mean that movie is goofy as hell. That's right. <laughs> like, so but, what? But, but good ham, good ham is Nicholas Alpa- Cage or Al Pacino in Carlito's way. Mm. You know, something like that, like but, a big performance. But or Al Pacino in Jack and Jill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's perfect sure. ham. I'll tell you a performance I wish was more ham. Denzel Washington as Macbeth. I absolutely agree. If he yes. if he was more Just of a like, ham, it, like what you want from that role, chew the scenery, yeah. Mm-hmm. But instead, he like downplays it. He's like, "We're not going to give you the Denzel Washington you think you're going to get." Yeah, and it's like, no, no, do what you're good at, Denzel. Would you call Denzel Washington a hammy actor? It's a good question because Training Day, great performance. Full ham. Yes. Yes. It's the best kind of ham. Yes. I'm trying to think of some other Denzel like... Please don't take notes on this because this is in no way rigorous. <laughs> no, not at all. This is about vibes. But is Denzel Washington a great actor? Absolutely. Yes. And so, a versatile actor can do all sorts of modes. Is he... But like, is he hammy and man on fire? Or even the equalizer moves? I would say no. He's trying to downplay it completely. What about Malcolm X? Is he, that... I mean... Is it a hammy performance? Now, are we getting into the territory of if you're giving a big charismatic performance, does that equate as hammy? I'm going to say no. Okay. Because I think in Malcolm X, he does all sorts of shades of Malcolm in that movie. And when he's on stage being charismatic, I wouldn't call that a hammy performance. If you only give hammy performances, are you a ham? And if you're an actor, can you give a hammy performance even though you're mostly straight? Like, let's say at a certain point, Al Pacino struck that ham like and never turned back. Never turned back. He did the coke on the set of Heat. Couldn't mm-hmm. go back from that. Yeah, it's interesting because you look at the Irishman and like Joe Pesci very understated, Robert De Niro very understated. But I think that Pacino. if you look back at, Oh yeah, so Pacino ham. Ham now. But but I I like him in the I Irishman. Want a fun- Horse. Well, that Robert De Niro in Dirty Grandpa, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's sorry. Yeah, he said Pacino in the yeah. Irishman. He's he, yeah, he's full he, ham. He's in the full Irishman. ham, but it's like it's pleasing. Yes. Yeah. So you can have. This is. I don't think I ever use the word ham in like a negative way. Because I have some, used it in a negative way. Because if someone's being hammy, I think that there's enjoyment for me there. 
Yeah. And I'd rather Tom Hanks give a hammy performance in the post than him give a dead serious performance in the post. Where that story, it's nothing. Well, I think there's a disjuncture between that movie's intentions and what it's what But it's isn't that doing. enjoyable, though? I mean, sometimes. Because I remember watching the post and being like, I love this movie's gonzo style that like what is spielberg doing here well spielberg sure knows how to move a camera yes but but to me hammy and ham are unidirectional terms Mm -hmm. i think they can they can be good or bad but Mm. i would rather they be good yeah lots of chew on here Mm. now would you call jim carrey a hammy performer no no well I wouldn't call Ace Ventura hammy. So that's it feels like, like it feels like hammy. There needs to be a serious base. That's right. For you to transfer to hamminess. Yeah, I mean, I think he can be hammy in like well, the number twenty three. Yeah, well, that's the thing about Jim Carrey is that like I would call him giving a hammy performance. I'm saying this word so much, just losing its meaning. Yeah. In like the majestic. Yes. Like that is that, a hammy performance. But Ace Ventura is just a big performance. Big performance, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, great letter. Good, good questions I, to I go off this. of. Yeah. So as per usual, you can send us letters at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. So we hinted at it that we're doing another screening and we weren't sure what we wanted to do. We wanted to do a horror film. Because it, it's Shocktober. It's, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You triggered it. You said it. That's right. And so I thought like, let's do a horror film. I mean, there's one horror film I love. And for the longest time, this is something I don't like doing, playing a movie I've played already, because I've done this at Laser Blast. But even when I did it at Laser Blast, I was so terrified about what the reaction was going to be from the audience. And I was shocked, shocked that the audience, they loved it. They couldn't get enough of it. What is that movie, Will? On October 3rd, come to the Fox Theater and see the 1989 Canadian classic, things oh yeah things we've talked a lot about things i think it's been a while though it's come up things is a direct-to-video horror film made by two guys from scarborough with an eight millimeter camera and a dream i may I, maybe even 16 millimeter like things is a mystery wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a nightmare imagine bob and doug mckenzie got together with a camera and they had their jeans spliced with Kenneth Anger, and they made a very strange, very beautiful, very Canadian horror mood piece. I think I may know things by heart almost more than <laughs> any other movie. And I, every time I watch it, I love it even more. Things has been called the worst Canadian film of all time. No. <laughs> and it's, and it's, I think that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely I'm wrong. just saying it's been called that. Yes. But I think it's a beautiful. It, it's, it was. I recently voted in a CBC poll for the best ten best Canadian films. Things went on there. Right? It was on my ballot. Yeah, I love things. It's beautiful. I don't it's think strange. there's any other movie like things that exists in the world. And also, of all the direct-to-video horror movies, this is the one you need to see in a theater. We did a Patreon episode on this, right? Did we? Because I just want to start talking about it again. It's like, like it's an immersive experience. It's like so beautiful, so strange, funny. Yeah, it's very really, funny. Really yeah. funny. You yeah. will laugh. Yeah, and it's also a movie that for the first 30 minutes nothing happens like they just kind of sit around at one point they pick up a bottle cap and they start throwing at each other and it's like you're seeing the train come at you (laughs) for the first time nothing happens need i remind you that the adult film icon amber lynn setting you up for amber lynn is in this movie as a reporter fully clothed yes never takes her top off and why is she there just one of the many odd artistic decisions so like 
when I'm you so watch those to segments watch this again. and you're like, is she, she's in the future commenting on the events that are happening. That's right. <laughs> yeah. This is the film I've always wanted to like write a monograph on things. It, like this movie, it's like it's Inland Empire. Like, yes, that's exactly you, what it you is. You will be changed by this. A more fun Inland Empire though. Oh, more yeah. laughs, yeah. if you will. Shorter too. And you know, we're again, we're going to make this a whole experience for you. You know, October 3rd, we're going to have probably a short, probably you program. Know, yeah. You know, we'll do an intro. We'll do some shtick. You'll, you'll meet, you'll meet new friends. Maybe new lovers. Who knows? You will never forget the experience of seeing things. Like it ends with this you is, have experienced things, and uh, like this is so important that you come see this. <laughs> yes, y- y- folks. <laughs> I I'm shocked this is not like a yearly thing in like yeah. Canadian cities because oh, yeah. I feel like you see things, it ends, and you're like, what? What was that? And then you're like, I gotta see it again. Yeah. Like, did I see what I thought I saw? It's incredible. So come see things. Tickets are available now at the Fox Theater website. Foxtheater.ca. And, and that's the Canadian spelling of theater. Mm-hmm. We look forward to see. And even in the Fox Theater, which is such a nice theater. Oh and they're playing God. things. And things. You, you need to see the. Okay, whatever. We've yeah. talked enough. We, we've talked enough about the movie. Hope you can check it out. So what are we doing next week, Will? Well, the Toronto International Film Festival is starting. So Film Festival Month will continue at an actual film festival. Justin and I have press and or industry passes this year. And we'll be hitting up all sorts of screenings. Anything you, you're particularly excited to see? No, because I don't want to spoil what we'll be seeing. And also, I don't want to be mobbed by fans. That's right. You- I will be attending no public screenings, probably, except for the Midnight Madness ones. Because okay. I'm a press screening guy only. Because it's easier to get into, and it's early in the morning, and so... I'm probably not going to be sleeping very much, and my schedule will change over the next 10 days of being a night owl. You're going to be on New Zealand time. Yeah, basically, that's what's going to happen. All right. Well, hey, listen, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to see some of the big new... And, you know, this year... This my year- is- Miyazaki, we're going to see, the uh, new one. Mr. Vim Vendors, I think. Oh, yeah, we are going to see that one. It's uh, on the list. Mr. Aki Karazmaki. I will be seeing a last dispatch from Mr. Jean-Luc Godard. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. You got tickets after being like, I couldn't get tickets to this. I did you complain about it on the internet? Someone got you tickets? No, 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 no. That, I did get that for something else. But, <laughs> oh, well, uh, we both got that for something else. <laughs> we'll be talking about it. Probably in a Patreon episode, I think. Yeah, but but no, I was able I was able to get a press ticket in time for the mm. new Godard. So. Oh, nice. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. All the new films. What are we, like a film comment podcast or something? And hey, I am going to predict what wins Best Picture. <laughs> Based on the movies that you see. That's right. Next goal wins. Taika Waititi's finally going to take it home. So until then, my name's Elton the Glue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. As per usual, I'd like to thank some of our new patrons, who include Ryan Callahan, Garlic Fred, Finnegan Hughes, Andy Andy, Andrew Nybaum, Rob, James Waters, Nate De La Cruz, Matt McCrack, James Waters, Chambliss Ferguson, Tom Taylor Taylor, Ned Grade, mmm, Joe Bossel, Shay Kelleher, Samuel Langstone, Matthew Thomas, Steve Heffernan, and Big Nick 69. So thank you very much for all becoming patrons. We couldn't do it without you. And if you want more Justin DeClue talking about movies, as if you don't already get enough, check me out on YouTube for the next 10 days. I will be uploading videos where I walk and talk about all the movies that I see at the Toronto International Film Festival 2023. There'll be real kind of off-the-cuff videos, my thoughts about the new hot movies I'll be checking out. So, check it out yourself. If you search Film Trap in the YouTube bar, the whole channel will come up. 
Thanks for watching. And now back to your regular scheduled programming. Well, we were just talking about the Toronto International Film Festival. I think one of our most treasured rituals is Midnight Madness, the annual slate of cult and spooky and <laughs> slimy and shivery movies. Now, I've talked about this many a times. It was very important in my development as a film fan living in Toronto. The passes used to be, I kid you not, $100 to see all 10 movies. Oh, man. That was it. And I would go every night, me and my friends. And they don't have a Midnight Madness pass anymore. They do this year. Oh. But it's not that price that's all i'll say okay. like it's not very Too bad it'll get you tickets to like if they're sold out you can buy the pass and you can get in through that way but like the whole gimmick was like i could not afford any other tiff tickets but i could afford a midnight madness pass and we all my friends would go we would even do little podcasts afterwards we would talk about the movie that was before one of our friends was programming. I don't know if I could do that anymore. Being like, P.U., this movie. And then release a podcast on that. Especially that after we released the last episode we did, I got a text from Peter being like, hey, hey, that film you mentioned is gory. And I was like, huh? And I was like, oh, because you mentioned a movie that I, is playing at Midnight Madness. Right. Where Evil Dwells, I believe it is. And I was like, it's not that gory. And like literally the programmer was like, no, 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 it's gory. It's gory, guys. It well, listen, gore. we're here to praise Midnight Madness. That's right. Not to say its movies aren't gory. So I just want to talk about some of the movies. If you are in Toronto and you're like, I don't know, like it's late. Some of these movies do play during the day. So you have a chance to see them. It's like, not the same. No, it's like you want to see them at midnight. The crowd. You can actually eat food without security guards taking you down now because it's not at the Ryerson anymore. It's at the Winter Garden, I that think. That is correct. Yeah, it is a theater, I guess. I miss the Ryerson, I but miss whatever. the Ryerson, too. At least we still have Midnight Madness, That's I right. guess. It is a long walk for me to take the bus after the movie's end, as opposed to when I was at the Ryerson, I would just walk 10 feet onto Young. Now I have to go across downtown to be able to catch a bus. Right, get Cameron Bailey on the phone. We need to change the location. Yeah. Justin DeClue and Will Sloan of the Import Cinema Club say, it, it's got to change. We are a Toronto institution. <laughs> we, need to, we need to throw our weight around. We're old. We're old. We can't take it anymore. So this is an actually alphabetical order. So I'll start right at the top. Agro Drift. Are you going to be seeing that one? Well, I I hope to. I hope to get to a press screening. I mean, that's the hardest one to get a ticket ticket for. <laughs> I've seen scenes from this movie. I'll say what people have been kind of saying. Like, you will be shocked when you see this at what little of a movie it is. Well, it feels like a troll. I'm perfectly prepared for it. Now, this is Harmony Kareen's new movie yeah. where it's all shot in infrared and he's been in the press saying that he's done with movies. He likes video games and TikToks now. <laughs> really cool. Like, he's, he's not 50 years old at all. I will say there are scenes in this movie that feel like they were taken straight out of things, which we just talked about. I will say I like Harmony Kareen. I like his movies. I'm I'm interested in this. Like one. someone told me this. I was like, I don't believe that. And then I saw a clip and I was like, oh, my God, it sounds exactly like it. Well, it just played at Venice and there were like mass walkouts, mm. as you would expect. I don't know. What were they expecting? I mean, nah, come I don't know. on. You also have Boy Kills World. It's a new martial arts film. It's a Germany, South Africa, USA production. I hear it's pretty good. I know that maybe a famous producer will be there. I don't know if they announced it. I don't want to get in trouble if they he's not going to be showing up. But a famous producer who may be one of my favorite filmmakers. Can you take a guess? Look at the credits. What does that mean? Like, how is his track record as a producer? Moving on. Next movie. <laughs> what, do you want me to say something? No, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble now. <laughs> trying to dodge around these minefields. See, it was easier when, like, the programmer, Colin Geddes, was, like, a faraway figure. 
Right. That we, as opposed to someone that I would literally be playing video games with him later tonight. We also have Dick's a Musical, and I haven't seen anything of this, but I know that Peter loves this movie. Okay. Like, it's the opening night film, too, directed by Larry Charles, who gave us... Religulous. <laughs> yes. Didn't he also do he did that Bob the Dictator? Dillon, he did the Bob Dylan film also. Oh, did he, Ma- he direct Masked that? and Anonymous. We did a whole Patreon episode on I that. I love Masked and Anonymous. <laughs> we also have Hell of a Summer, directed by Canadian film Wolfhard star of Stranger Things. What I'll say about this is, sat right behind a Finn Wolfhard at a comedy show, a Ben Schwartz show. You you sat behind Finn Wolfhard. The Finn Wolfhard. Guys. And you know what? I could not see his face. Emily could. She's the one who tapped me and said, hey, is that Finn Wolfhard sitting in front of us? And you know what? It was because he took a photo with Ben Schwartz afterwards that he posted on his Instagram. Boy, you out-of-town listeners must listen to this podcast and think we lead such glamorous lives. Now, did I see his face? No, but I saw the face of his two friends. I checked. One of the friends sitting beside him was one of the people that worked on this new movie that's playing. So I'm like, oh, so it was Finn Wolfhard. I just saw the back of his hair. Finn Wolfhard, he's just like you and me. He was not in a VIP section. He was just sitting right in the middle of the audience. You know what you should have done? Should have put your hands over his eyes and then said, no one will ever believe you. (laughs) What if he turned around and I was talking? He was like, oh, is that Justin DeClue? I'm a big fan of the important cinema club. Well, he probably already is. and he He just didn't want to bother you. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Finn Wolfhard, my God. And then we have have a movie that i hear is super bloody super violent martial arts kind of in the raid i I would say more violent than that kill from india more violent than the raid it is yes and it's also a movie you don't really see that often that the whole thing is on a commuter train and it's basically like a guy and you know a girlfriend that he's seeing even though that he's not supposed to or family's on the train and a bunch of random criminals show up and they fight on that train and i'm gonna say this train is so claustrophobic like super tight and when the movie started i went it's so tight i was like there's not gonna be that many camera angles on this train like but there's every set piece has new gags in it and they find new things to do with the film so very excited that's a friday night film and that is like the stamp of approval with this kind of stuff we also have a saudi arabian film naga which i haven't seen but i hear is really exciting it's like a after hours a woman goes out shopping also to meet a partner that she's not supposed to see and then she has to get home before curfew hits very surreal very violent it features a bloodthirsty camel we also have Riddle of Fire, which is the closing night film. And that is a film that played at Con. Peter loves this movie. It's kind of like kids are doing like Dungeons and Dragons style stuff. There's not any big fantasy sequences or anything. I said, kind of reminds me a little bit of Napoleon Dynamite, but in a positive way, if you will. We have a South Korean film, Sleep. I don't know anything about this, but it played a con. People liked it. We have When Evil Lurks, the gory movie. You hear that, Peter? It's so gory. That are you gonna actually be checking that one out? Yeah, yeah I'm excited for that one. I'm, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing Kill. I'm seeing. I'm seeing several of them. Yeah. And Working Class Goes to Hell, which I know this is kind of Peter's experimental pick. That is kind of genre-ish, but you know he's pushing. You know that. Peter Kaplowski, like you're going to see some weird stuff at midnight that may not be just like what you would conventionally expect. It's directed by the director who did the life and death of a porno gang, which I never saw, but came in that wave of like Serbian extreme movies with like a Serbian film and stuff like that. So, you know what? I will check it out. Looking forward to it. That's a good midnight madness. If I have to say so myself, I saw the back of Finn Wolfhard's head. 
I mean, what else do you need, right? Oh my God. <laughs> so if you see us at Midnight Madness, smile and nod, come up and say hello. We'd love to see you. Yeah, why we not? We love seeing fans. And then, and then. Uh, Quietly turn around and leave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Justin, I'm... I saved you a spot. No, no, none, no, of, that. none of that. None of that. None of that. No, thank <laughs> you. Even though I've done that to like Edgar Wright. Like, Edgar Wright, hello, hello. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm going to leave did now. You, uh, did you save a spot for Edgar no, Wright? No, I would never. I would never no. think of that. But listen for the telltale sign of me and Will's laughter in this big theater. Can you spot us? Can you tell what theater we went to just by laughter? That's up for you to decide.